0: Good morning, church family. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here, and glad that you are with us. And it's good to worship him together, good to hear God's word together. Uh, we're going to jump in. I want you to do this with me. I'm going to give you some theoretical scenarios, that I want you to imagine yourself in them. I'm going to tell, tell you what the situation is. I'm going to tell you, how you what action you took. And then we're going to be thinking about the way that people respond to that. So the first situation is that you move to a new place very far from where you used to be, and everyone there is so welcoming and tells you all the great things about this place they have to offer, and they don't tell you how terrible it is of a pollen season for you if you have allergies. <laughs> but this situation is totally theoretical. And, um, and as, you, as you discover this, you love these people anyway. That's a pretty good response to that situation, isn't it? In January when you were getting to know my family, there was this wet snow and you were so concerned about it. You made sure I knew that this doesn't happen all the time, you know, but no one told me about the May snow. <laughs> it's not cool. <laughs> now I'm good. I'm good. I'm taking Claritin D. I'm all right. Okay. Hey, uh, now I'm serious. Now I'm going to give you some situations, some theoretical situations that you might find yourself in and the action you could take and what would be the reaction of people to those. You see someone in need on the street corner holding a sign, so you ask if they're hungry and you buy them a sandwich. Is that a controversial response or a kind response? Kids. Kids. You see or hear a classmate getting bullied, and you come to their defense, and you speak up for them. Is that controversial, or is that being like Jesus? Parents, your kid's had a rough day, tough time making good choices. I know this never happens to you, but you offer dessert that night anyway, Shockingly controversial? Or an excellent display of love? You buy groceries for a single mom? How is that received? Or better yet, you arrange a babysitter for a single mom? You take in a foster child? How is that seen? You help someone that's just released from jail to get back things back together and find a job, etc.? You offer a warm and heartfelt smile and greeting to someone totally different than you. To someone totally different than you. How is that received? What about thinking about that same person, that someone that's completely different from you in, in any number of ways? We're glad when they arrive at Faith Free Church. Controversial or kindness? You listen well, you care for someone that the world says you should look down on. Mercy or controversial mercy? Um, I titled the message this morning, Controversial Mercy. um, But I'm wondering, is that a thing? Should there be such a thing as controversial mercy? Is mercy ever conf- controversial? Well, it was in the passage that we're studying this morning that we heard read for us already. And, um, so if you're not already there, I hope you kept it open. Open your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. And I appreciate John reading the scripture for us this morning. We're not going to do that every Sunday, but occasionally we're going to have someone up here reading the, in, the passage of scripture that we're going to be studying together. Why would we do that? <laughs> because the word of God is living and active and absolutely relevant and applicable to your and my life today. Do you believe that? So we had the word of God read And I just want to encourage you to take advantage of that time and and, and join me now and keep your finger in the text. And when we have the scripture read, you can follow along in your Bible if you want, but it's also fine to just listen and absorb and hear from God through his word. So we're going to do that now as well. We're in a series of messages we've called God-Man because we want to study this book of Mark and get to know the life and ministry of the God-Man Jesus. And in this passage that we're looking at today, mercy was controversial. But here's some background to that. Here's some background to why the controversy. There's these guys, there's this group of people that we're going to see throughout the passage today called the Pharisees. And the Pharisees were the religious leaders of that day. And the Pharisees had certain ways of doing things. They were used to doing things in a certain way and were very particular about how things were done. These Pharisees were were God-fearing church people who who loved God and wanted to obey uh, God's laws. In fact, the Pharisees were known to follow God's laws to the T, to every dot of the I, every crossing of the T. But, as we sometimes see, their rule-keeping, their religiosity often moved toward Legalistic, over overachieving, legalism, uh, overzealousness, uh, going a little too far in their attempts to really follow God's law. Um, these were church people that wanted to honor God, that that uh, in their efforts to keep the letter of the law would sometimes miss the spirit of the law. They could be so black and white about what they thought was supposed to happen that they would miss the heart, what God's principle was, what God really wanted them to know. And so then these Pharisees would expect people to do like they did. The, uh, the Pharisees expected us to conform to their religious ways and customs and traditions. You see, they had, they had kind of added on. They had taken God's good laws and added their own interpretations added their own traditions, added their own customs that went beyond God's intention and then expected the rest of us to follow in their religious ways. And now we get to our passage, and into this situation, into this religious culture, comes Jesus. And if you were with us a few weeks ago when we looked at Mark chapter 1, verse 15, We talked briefly about the fact that with Jesus' arrival on the scene, with the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, came the beginning, the inauguration of God's kingdom. That the kingdom of God is being established. That God's rule and reign is increasingly present and will be fulfilled in the future. That God's rule and reign is breaking in to this religious culture. And so Jesus says... It's a new era. I have a better way. And so throughout the scriptures today, as we look at these different passages, we're going to see that God is doing a new thing through Jesus. All right? Sound good? You ready? All right? You got your finger in the text? All right. Right about the middle of the chunk of scripture that we're looking at today, look at verse 21. Chapter 2, verse 21. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. So this isn't just a fashion problem. It sounds like a fashion problem, though, doesn't it? But sewing a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, it goes on to describe that then then the new piece would shrink and tear an even bigger hole. It just causes a mess. And verse 22 tells us that no one puts new wine... In old wineskins. They would use the skin of a goat to hold wine. If you tried to put new wine in an old wineskin, the wineskin would burst. So no one does that. So, what is going on here? What's going on as Jesus enters into this religious culture of the Pharisees and, and the rule following? Jesus says that. No one does that with a piece of cloth. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. While the Old Testament law, while God's laws are good and they had their good purposes and they continue to have good purposes, the overall religious situation, the overall religious system of that day was broken. It had a hole in it. It needed repair and a patch wasn't going to be good enough. Jesus is saying, I can't just kind of patch, put a little bit of Jesus in to what you're already doing. No. We're going to do a whole new thing. The good news that Jesus brings is a new era. The newness of Jesus' radical message of the kingdom cannot be contained in old wineskins, in old forms of religion. The new life that Jesus makes possible is expanding. It can't be restricted by the Pharisees' rigid rules and overzealous efforts and and their structures. Jesus' arrival on the planet has brought a new era, a new way. So in this section of Mark's Gospel, we find find Jesus in the midst of a bunch of controversy. Jesus, in in this section of Scripture, we find Jesus in the middle of a a few different situations that all raised eyebrows. And it started last Sunday. If you were with us last Sunday, we we studied a story where there was a paralyzed man and his friends knew that Jesus was the answer, and they dug through the roof to bring their friend to Jesus. Jesus. And then, and everybody expecting a healing, the first words from Jesus were, son, your sins are forgiven, which was a shocking controversy because Jesus was now putting himself in God territory, right? So there was controversy number one. And then as we look today in these, uh, in these passages, we continue to see Jesus have these encounters, these collisions even, with the religious culture of his day, with the Pharisees. And so these things were controversies then, but what should we look for this morning? These were controversial then, but let's look as we ask God to show us this morning. Let's study God's word, and let's ask him to show us what's new, what's better about God's kingdom breaking in. Chapter 2, verse 18 now. Now I'll back up to verse 18. Now John the baptizer's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. You may not be familiar with fasting. Fasting would be going without food with the purpose of drawing near to God. Right? So John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came to Jesus and said, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? They want them to conform. They want them to look like the rest of religious culture. The rest of religious culture is fasting. Why aren't your guys Fasting And Jesus' answer is, because I'm still here. He, he, he goes on, and if you keep your finger in the text there, you'll see that Jesus brings up the idea of a wedding to describe this joyous event that is Jesus' physical presence there with his followers. It's a joyous, celebratory occasion. And so Jesus says, they're not fasting because I'm still here. They will fast. Followers of Jesus will fast when I'm taken from them. But right now, they are filled with joy in my presence. So there is a significance. There is a time for fasting. We we can use fasting to draw near to God, to put our focus where it ought to be, to put our focus on the fact that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Right? Right? There are times when fasting is significant, but more importantly, what Jesus is saying here is that more importantly is enjoying relationship with Jesus. Our great and mighty and holy God on high has made it possible to be friends with him through Jesus. So when they ask why are these guys not fasting, Jesus' answer is, I think, tells us to not... Don't be religious just to be religious. If you're going to fast, do it to draw near to God. Do it to be in relationship with Jesus. Verse 23. One Sabbath day. And, and here again, just to make sure we're all on the same page, what's a Sabbath day? A Sabbath, the Sabbath was the last day of the week. and the, the, This day was set aside for rest from work and worship of God. And it it goes right after the model of God himself back in Genesis when God creates everything and he works and he creates and he declares everything that he has made good. And then God gets to the seventh day and he rests. And if God gets to the seventh day and rests, then he gives that blessing to us too. And so he institutes the Sabbath, a day of break from work to worship him. So verse 23, one Sabbath. Jesus was going through the grain fields and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain and the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Now if you, if, you, if, if, if like me, you're not usually familiar with the, the, the customs of that day, when I first think of, when I see the Pharisees go, hey, they're doing something illegal. Why are they doing that? I'm thinking they're stealing food. That's what it sounds like right there, walking through someone's field, plucking grains to eat for lunch. They're not stealing. The Old Testament allowed for this to be, for those that are hungry to be able to pluck grain to feed themselves as they pass by any field. So that's not what the Pharisees' problem is. So what's going on here? They're past, it's the Sabbath day. They're passing through this field. The disciples are feeding themselves, and the Pharisees are grumbling. What they are doing is not lawful. Their problem is, is that they're considering their grain plucking to be work. we are supposed to rest from work on the Sabbath. And they've taken the heart of God's law to give us rest, to give us a chance to be close to him. And the Pharisees have added all these details and all this black and white mumbo-jumbo legalese, and they've defined what is and what isn't work to a crazy extent to the point where these hungry guys can't pluck a grain to feed themselves without it, be call, it being called work. And so Jesus says, they're plucking grain because they're hungry. And Jesus is basically says, I'm okay with that. The heart of God giving you a Sabbath was for a, to be a, a, a blessing to you. God instituted the Sabbath for you to enjoy. The heart, uh, the Sabbath rules were not meant to preclude someone from meeting basic needs. The the heart of the Sabbath rules were not to include forcing you to go hungry. Verse 27, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. So Jesus says, I am God, I am God over the Sabbath. I know why the Sabbath was instituted and serving people and meeting their basic needs is more important to God's heart than legalistic rule-keeping. So then the, then the next section of Scripture we come to, the Pharisees are looking to accuse Jesus. It says right there in the Scriptures what the Pharisees are trying to do here in this next session, section. Section. The Pharisees are looking to accuse him, and so they're watching him to see what he's going to do. He, he comes into this situation where there's a man with a withered hand, and they're thinking, hmm, it's a Sabbath day. I wonder if he's going to try to heal somebody. I want to accuse him. I want to I catch him in the act. But the fact that it was a Sabbath day didn't stop Jesus. Now we're in chapter 3. If you're following along in your Bible there, chapter 3, verse 4. Jesus says to them, think about this, put yourself in the shoes and answer this question, okay? Jesus says to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? I mean, I think we know our gut feeling what the, what the good answer would be there, Right? Is it good to save a life or kill? Okay. So what what should come to mind, the obvious answer should be to save life, to to help others. Uh, In answer to Jesus' question, and look at the end of verse 4, what response Jesus gets. But they were silent. And Jesus looked around at them with anger. Why anger? It says right there because he was grieved at their hardness of heart. The Pharisees are so concerned about the black and white of their rules. The Pharisees are so concerned with getting every little thing correct and everybody doing their little custom and their little church people tradition, the way they've always done things, that they're silent in the face of a man faced with an opportunity to be healed. They're so stubborn about their rules that they don't see the amazing possibility of this man receiving mercy and restoration. So Jesus said to the man, stretch out your hand. The man stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Sabbath day or not. Jesus performed this miraculous healing, demonstrating that mercy and love toward human suffering is more important than going overboard on the rules, or by claiming that Jesus was working to do that healing. But this mercy was controversial. And it's so controversial that it led to this in verse 6, the Pharisees went out And immediately held counsel with the Herodians against Jesus how to destroy him. Jesus extended mercy and love to a man in need of healing. And these guys plotted to kill him. Jesus extended mercy. And these guys couldn't. This is the new way of Jesus his message and his actions were controversial among the church people of that time but Jesus is making it clear that as God's kingdom is established as God's rule and reign becomes more and more reality guess what mercy is not controversial mercy is going to be a regular part of what God is doing that's good news As God's kingdom is established, mercy isn't controversial. Mercy is part of God's heart. So let's look at, now we're going back to chapter 2, verse 13. I know I'm hopping around. Chapter 2, verse 13, I want to see and learn from how one man was changed by God's mercy and how he became a conduit of God's mercy friends, as we study the scripture, put yourself there. We're going to study this man's situation. We're going to put ourselves in his shoes. We're going to pretend that we're just sitting there doing our own, minding our own business, doing our job, whatever it is, the vocation that God has called you to. And that doesn't have to be just a paid job because some of you, what God has called you to is to love and serve and give in a million different ways. And so what is it that's God given you to do? And imagine that you're doing it and along comes Jesus. Verse 13. Jesus went out again beside the sea, and the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus. Imagine he saw you, minding your own business, doing what you do, totally undeserving of God's attention, as we all are. You with me? Jesus went to the sea. The crowd was following him. Verse 14, he passed by. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And and Levi jumped up, rose, and followed him. And as people looked on, and as as the bystanders saw this happen, this was a shocking controversy. Yet another controversy that Jesus finds himself in. Why so shocking? Because tax collectors were despised. Not just IRS despised. Worse than that don't just like try to take a modern equivalent of it. It's not just a you know back then's IRS agent. It's, it's a lot going on here. Tax collectors were despised. The whole taxation system was corrupt. Matthew was a Jew working for the Romans and therefore seen to be a traitor. Plus, most tax collectors were skimming off the top. As they charged people their taxes, most tax collectors were skimming off the top for their own profit. Think that he was well-liked. Do you think that he was well-liked? Do you think that he was what, what the religious culture of the time, the kind of person that they expected to receive grace from God? But Matthew is, or Levi is sitting there, and Jesus walks by, and Jesus says, I want you, you. And now remember, put yourself in your shoes, minding your own business, doing whatever it is you do, totally unworthy of God's call. Remember? Put yourself in there. Jesus just walked by and said, you, I want you to follow me. Levi received mercy. Levi has shown mercy here. And Jesus shows that mercy is part of his new and better way. The Bible makes it clear um, elsewhere that this guy in our story, Levi, is the same guy that elsewhere is referred to as Matthew. That same Matthew is one of the 12 disciples, one of Jesus' original 12 disciples, his closest friends. That same Matthew goes on to write a book of the Bible. And many believe, I think this is so cool, I I don't know if we we don't know this for sure, but many believe that similar to how Jesus renamed Simon, to Peter, that there may be something similar going on here where Levi became Matthew. And this is incredible. How cool is this? Because listen to what the name Matthew means. This is basically Jesus. If Jesus indeed kind of did something like this, you, Levi, follow me, and then began to call him Matthew, he's basically saying, hey, you rip-off artist, you're going to be a gift from God. Because that's what Jesus does extends mercy, and transforms people's lives, makes them a new person inside and out. I got some good news, though, friends. In fact, I've got the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Matthew wasn't the only one that received mercy, was he? You're sitting in this room, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're sitting in this room likely because at one point or another, or if not daily, you have received mercy. Look on the screen, Ephesians 2, 1 and 3, and you, and me too, were dead in your trespasses and sins, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's rough. It's a rough spot to be in dead in our transgressions and sins. And then the next verse, but God. But God acted. But God intervened. But God came along and said, hey, you, follow me. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How were you saved? By grace, you have been saved, not as a result of works, so that no one may, may boast. I love that John, when he came up here to read scripture for us this morning, joked that because it's a holiday weekend and because it's really nice and sunny outside, that you all ought to receive a double blessing for being here. If we could give out points, we would, right, John? Thank you for being here on this kind of a Sunday. But thank the Lord that we are not saved by those points that we earn by being here on Memorial Day weekend. We're not saved by trying hard, by doing good, by being a good person, by going to church. We're not saved by checklist religion, by following rules. That verse on the screen just made sure we knew that we are rescued from our sin and from darkness by grace alone through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. Last week, I want to be clear about this. This is interesting. If you were here with us last Sunday, we talked a lot about obedience because I felt like the passage called for it. We talked a lot about the fact that Jesus expects our obedience, that Jesus means business, that when he calls us to follow him, that when he gives us a, a, a calling, an order, we, we need to do it, right? That obedience is important. But folks, don't miss, don't misunderstand the fact that we don't obey to be rescued. We obey because we've been rescued. We obey not to earn points from God and to be saved. We obey because we're so thankful for what he's done that a thankful response to a loving father is obedience. Are you with me? So like Levi and Matthew, we too have received obedience. Mercy. Followers of Jesus have received loving mercy, namely at the cross. All you should have to do is think of the cross, see a cross, and be reminded that you, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are in Christ, you have received mercy because Jesus lived the life that we could not live without sin. He died the death that we deserved, taking our place and paying the penalty for our sin and then being raised to new life, conquering sin and death so that we could have life in him. The cross is our reminder that we have received God's mercy. So let's look at what Levi does with that. Back to verse 15. Levi, having received mercy and experiencing the transforming grace of Jesus, what does Matt do now? Uh, what does this Levi turned into Matthew do now? Levi received mercy, so Matthew demonstrates mercy. Verse 15. And he, Jesus, reclined at a table in his, probably is speaking about Matthew's house, So Jesus is reclining at a table in Matthew's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. Wait, who? Many tax collectors, those people we just described, and sinners, people in rebellion against God who fall short, who can't match up, who completely fail day in and day out to match up. Tax collectors and sinners are reclining at the table with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many people who followed Jesus. I hope you're here today to follow Jesus. Even if you haven't met him yet, even if you don't know you should follow him yet, you're here because Jesus wants to know you and love you and rescue you. Jesus has these people around him. Verse 16, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors... Said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Because what are the Pharisees trying to do? The Pharisees are trying to close those doors back there. Sorry. The Pharisees' rules, the church people trying to make it harder by their own customs and their own ways, are trying to close the doors back there. And Jesus is going, No! Open up the doors. Jesus is casting a wider net. The people sitting at the table with Jesus aren't the people that you would have expected to be around Jesus. The people that you would expect to sit at the table with Jesus are us. Nice, friendly church people that are following the rules and trying to please God. We never want to, but guys, sometimes you have to read the word and put yourself as the Pharisee. We want to be the guy that got healed, we want to be the guy that got forgiven. But you know, sometimes God's word needs to show your heart and my heart that we're the Pharisee. That even though we've received mercy, we don't give it to anybody else. The Pharisees are going, man, look who's at his table. They want people to know God, but they only want certain kinds of people to know God. And Jesus turns that upside down. Jesus heard what they were saying, and he said, those, verse 17... Those who are well need no need of, have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You know what he's saying there? If you think you're good, if you think you're all set, if you think you're righteous, if you think you've got it together, you're a rule-following church person, that's not why I came. Jesus said, I'm, I came to, to rescue Sinners to rescue the hurt to rescue the ones that know they have need to ones that know that they can't do it without God Jesus was casting the net wider I came to rescue the sick Levi received mercy Matthew demonstrated mercy how did Matthew demonstrate mercy what in those in those verses we just read there's something cool to be learned from this Okay ready How did Matthew demonstrate mercy He threw a party He was so stoked about Jesus. His life had just been flipped upside down. He had just gone from darkness to light. He had just gone from despised to loved by God. He had just gone from social outcast to accepted by God. So he threw a party. He didn't throw a party and demonstrate mercy so he could get saved. He didn't throw a party to earn brownie points with God. He threw a party because he was so thankful that he had been rescued from his sin. He wanted all of his friends to know. I want to do that. I want to throw that kind of party. Because those verses in Ephesians continue on. After it says, by grace you have been saved, on the screen you'll see it goes on to say, for we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Not saved by good works. Not made right with God by doing stuff. We're saved by grace alone. But in saving you, you're his masterpiece. You're his work of art. God, in rescuing you, created you to do good works so that we should walk in them. So followers of Jesus, that we, as we have received mercy, guess what we get to do? Demonstrate mercy. Exercise mercy. Offer mercy to others. And you know a great way to help your friends that are far from Jesus find Jesus? Throw a party. You know one of the best ways for your friends who are far from Jesus to get to know Jesus is to invite your friends that are far from Jesus and your friends that know Jesus and hang out in the same place. It's the coolest thing. But I've been growing up as a church person too and I go to this and there's church people and I go over here and it's just church people and I have a church person dentist and I have a church person realtor and I have... How am I supposed to be light in the darkness? I want my non-Christian friends to meet my Christian friends and I want Jesus to show them love through all of us. Did you know that Jesus says they will know you are my disciples by their love for... One another. Jesus says, those people out there, the world, our culture, will know you are our followers. They will know you are my followers, Jesus says, by your love for one another. Okay, that sounds good. We're like, cool, okay, cool. I'm going to love each other. I'm going to love each other. I'm going to love the other Christians in my life. How are our non-Christian friends going to see our love for one another unless we're in the same place at the same time. If our lives don't intersect with people far from God, with the tax collectors and sinners that Jesus had at his table, then how are they going to see our love for one another? So let's throw parties like Matt did. If you're inviting me, just wait until all this cotton's gone. I can't come outside. Jesus shows mercy. Matthew was changed by mercy. He shows mercy. How do we show mercy? How do we show mercy? Do we that have been shown mercy show mercy to others? Do we show it to the least of these? Do we show it to those on the fringe? Do we show it to those that are different than us? Do we show mercy to those who are far from God, to sinners? and outcasts, because apart from Jesus, that's what we were, dead, outcasts, deserving death, but shown mercy. We have been rescued by grace, let's share grace. We have been rescued by his mercy, let's share mercy. So, faith free, I'm almost done, hang in there. Faith-free, what does this look like in our lives as a church family? What does this look like for you and I individually? What does this look like as a church family? How do we share mercy with those who need it? We need to proclaim through our words and our actions who we are for. We've talked about this before. Who we are for instead of excluding by talking too much about who we're against. And who we disagree with on hot button issues in our culture I think this is really important on hot bus- hot button issues in our culture we must be careful with God's help to not allow our political persuasion to outweigh our Jesus imitating You know, Jesus was, happened a long time ago, right? Way before Republicans or Democrats. Jesus wasn't one of those. So we need to be careful that as we follow Jesus and as we live in this culture, yes, we are active citizens. Yes, you can follow politics and have a vote. You should. But make sure that our, that our political preferences don't outweigh following Jesus. And like the Pharisees, I want us to ask ourselves some tough questions sometimes about where we have added our own rules to God's rules. Where have we added our own little expectations and traditions and now expect everybody else to do those things just like us? We need to be careful because that's closing doors, not opening them. What might God want to do through Faith Free Church? If you didn't know, I'm kind of new here. I came here because God has been proclaiming the greatness of Jesus through Faith-Free Church in this Dallas community for 50 plus years. And I came here because I have every intention of being part of God, continuing to proclaim the greatness of Jesus in this community and to the ends of the earth. So Faith-Free Church, how do we extend mercy? What would make Dallas so thankful and excited that faith-free exists, that they couldn't hardly stand it. What would, you know, it's the classic question, right, if if you were to disappear, would you be missed? If faith-free church were to just disappear all of a sudden, would our community, would our world, would would our state, would our country miss us? If they wouldn't, then we're not doing it right. Jesus didn't call us to come in here and be a club and know only Christians. Faith-free, what is God doing? I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see what he calls us to. I'm excited to see how we can extend mercy to Dallas and Oregon and the United States and to the far reaches of the world because that's what Jesus wants to do through us. Let's be known for mercy. Let's be known as people of mercy, joy, helpfulness, love. Father God, we need your help so desperately. We, uh, we fall short, we rebel, we go against you. And yet you walked by and you said, you, hey, you, follow me. God, for those of us that are in Jesus, for those of us that are following you, we are so thankful for your mercy in our lives, that you have come to us, that you have rescued us, that you have forgiven our sin, that you have made us right With God, Father, we thank you for the cross where we saw the ultimate demonstration of your mercy, where we didn't get what we deserved and where we did get what we don't deserve. God, we thank you for the love shown to us through Jesus. And God, by his life, death, and resurrection, we put our trust in him, alone for salvation. God, help us not to work for it. Help us not to think we gotta try hard to please you. Help us to know that we are saved by grace alone. Help us to be so thankful for your mercy that we can't help but pour mercy out to those that you brought into our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All about you, we want your praises to be lifted high, to be worshiped for us to be thankful for all that you have done now and forever. Father, may it be all about Jesus in our lives. May it be all about Jesus here at Faith Free. God, we are thankful for your love shown to us in your mercy and grace. We thank you we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. You have been rescued by mercy. Go declare that mercy. Go share that mercy with who you come in contact with. Have a great rest of your Sunday and a good week.